Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and it's my pleasure to uh, to be here and to be teaching with us this morning as we start our new series, which is going to lead us up and into a uh, part of the summer. And it's an exciting time for us whenever we uh, start a new teaching series. I enjoy uh, just laying a little bit of the foundation of some of the, the big picture things that we're going to see within this whole section of scripture that we're looking at. Uh, and so this new series uh, is going to be based through the book of First Peter. It's a New Testament letter. Uh, and I wonder what your experience of that book is up until now. Maybe you've read it before, you've studied it even to an extent, and you feel like you know it well. Uh, maybe actually you, you're not really sure even where it is in the New Testament. Uh, things tend to get a little bit muddy uh, as to where all the letters fit together after you get past Corinthians. Um, or maybe actually you feel like you're just on the edge of this and excited about what God is going to teach us. Well, that's my hope and prayer, that whatever your experience of this book is, whether it's a lot or very little, my prayer is that we will be excited by what God is going to show us uh, through these five short chapters of his word to us. Um, but why should we study this book? Um, why should we study this letter written almost 2,000 years ago uh, in a culture and a context that was very different from ours? Well, the, the, the wonder and the beauty of God's word, and this is where we should start every time we come to a piece of God's word, is that it is timeless and it is practical. It is, as we read in Second Timothy three sixteen seventeen, these well-known words, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. God's word is good for us and it is purposeful. That's true of all of scripture. God's word is an incredible gift to us as he reveals himself to us and his truth to us through its pages. Um, but if that's the big picture of why we should study it, that's true of all of Scripture. Why specifically First Peter? Well, hopefully it'll become clear the more time we spend in this wonderful book that the message of First Peter is incredibly applicable for our day. You see, within First Peter, what we're going to see is, is so much about what it means to follow Jesus as Christians when the culture around would seem to suggest that Christians are on the fringe. We're going to see what God's message to his church is as that church seeks to navigate living for him in a world where his standards aren't adhered to, where, uh, where his name is not honoured. As one commentator, Juan Sanchez, says about this letter, Here is a letter written to churches like ours about a time such as ours. Peter's first letter is one we need to read, treasure and believe in our day because the post-Christian societies many of us live in now are very much like the pre-Christian society in which Peter's first century readers lived in then. Here is a letter for today. And so as much as we declare uh, the wonderful truth that God's word is timeless, all of God's word is good for us. Uh, there's something significant about First Peter and its message, God's message to us through its words uh, today. So as we begin... Uh, this journey through the letter and throughout the course of this series uh, I hope and I pray that we'll be encouraged uh, to, to appreciate the depth and the nourishment that God will give us through this book it, it's only five chapters long it's relatively short just 105 verses in total but there's no way in the Sundays that we gather together there's no way that we'll be able to plumb the depths of what God has to say to us and so my encouragement to you as we launch into this new series is to spend time in this book outside of Sundays whether that's in your personal devotional time as you do that every day. Uh, maybe it's committing to rereading the passage that we study each Sunday morning as we gather. Uh, I'd urge you to get our heads and our hearts around what God is trying to teach us in these words. 
it's one of the motivations for why we're choosing to invest more time in this book as we gather with life groups uh, which are restarting Uh, and so whether you meet in person or online as part of a life group if you've been part of a life group before or this could be a first time of joining one we'd really encourage you to do that and one of the primary reasons we want to do that is so that we will get our get our teeth really into what god is going to teach us through this wonderful book um, but, but what about the book itself? Let's turn attention uh, there and just set the scene a little bit for the weeks that will follow. It's always important, whatever passage we're going to study, that, that we consider that passage in its own right. Uh, and in doing that, sometimes if you happen to have a study Bible there with you, it's really helpful to read the introduction, introductory section of that. Uh, sometimes I think we skip over that to get to God's word to us, of course. Uh, but those introductory um, lessons to us uh, can be really helpful to aid our understanding and to really grasp the, the wonder of what God is teaching us. So there we might see things about uh, the human author. We might see the date that it was written, the circumstances of culture that were going on, how it fits into the course of biblical history. And all of those things are good for us uh, to know and understand. And, and from the very first verse of First Peter, we see a couple of those questions being answered. We see who wrote the book and who it was written to. Uh, firstly, who wrote the book? The very first word of this letter is Peter. Verse 1, chapter 1, Peter. Uh, and this is the man that we've been hearing so much of recently through Michael's really helpful series and study of his life. Peter, the man who knew Jesus, who followed Jesus, the man who denied Jesus, the man who then declared Jesus. This is Peter. Uh, and so it means that as we come to read this book, not only are we reading the, the God-inspired words through Peter as he wrote to groups of churches, but we're also reading the words of an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension. Uh, and that may sound obvious, uh, but I think we should allow that to excite us. And so we should lean into and we learn from Peter's words here as God inspired him to write uh, based on his wonderful experience of living with our risen Lord. Um, and look at Peter's description as we see more of what this author has to teach us. Look at his own description of himself. Peter, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, Peter knows he's one of the original 12 authorised disciples of Jesus who have been now sent on mission to declare his good news to the whole world. So who wrote the letter? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, who was the letter written to originally? Well, again, verse 1 shows us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now we'll pick up more of the details about the rest of this verse in a few minutes when we turn to the sermon. But it's clear that this is a circular letter meant to be sent throughout a a large area of what we now know as as northern Turkey. Uh, And it's in these locations where we see believers have been scattered to. Um, Some translations, uh, for example the ESV, uh, would read the, the exiles of the dispersion. Um, it's, it's linked to the, the Jewish idea of the diaspora, Jews who were dispersed from Israel throughout the ancient Near East. Um, now that may well be true. I don't think that that limits the audience of this book and its intended relevance to just Jewish Christians. I think this is written to a wider Jewish and mixed Gentile audience. Um, we'll maybe get into that in the, in the weeks that follow. But we know that the letter is written then by Peter to a group of Christians spread out around northern Turkey. And we can see from what Peter writes to these believers that these are Christians who are beginning to to suffer for their faith. They're beginning to come under some pressure because they follow Jesus Christ and they claim him as Lord. And so they're suffering persecution. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them to keep on going. 
encourages them to persevere in their faith, to, to take their eyes off their current circumstances, to see the wonder of the plan that God has for them in his eternity. Uh, and to, in, in doing all of that, it's to not allow the circumstances that they face and day by day to cloud their understanding of the gospel. And we see so many of those themes coming through in, in some of the, the messages that we see throughout this letter where Peter expounds on our eternal, our living hope. He talks about our secure salvation in Jesus Christ. He talks about our identity as God's people and how that identity fuels our actions and our attitudes. He talks about the need for Christian community and supporting one another. He talks about the reality of the spiritual enemy who we must be alert to and resist. And how all of that that, that wonderful grasp of who we are and what God has done for us, how all of that leads us to live out and to speak out the good news of Jesus with those around us. And in doing that, then they would be drawn to Jesus themselves. In other words, if we could summarize it as we've tried to done in the, the title for this series, this is a letter encouraging followers of Jesus to stand firm. Peter uses language a little bit like that in chapter 5 on a couple of occasions. Verse 9 he says in talking about the enemy, resist him standing firm in the faith. In verse 10, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. And then finally in verse 12 of chapter 5, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. It's why we've entitled this series Stand Firm. It's clear that this is a message that Peter really wants to get across and that God wants to get across to his church. That as you live in a culture and a context that may feel difficult to follow Jesus, stand firm. But there's one thing and one final thing I just want to clarify about that title. Uh, the encouragement to stand firm could possibly sound a little bit passive. Like all we have to do as everything else changes around us is stand firm, stay in the same place, do the same things and everything else will happen around us. But, but from the fr- thrust of Peter's letter, we know that standing firm is anything but passive. It's remarkably active. There's action to be taken. There's attitudes to be fostered. There's words to be said. There's behavior to be lived out. Standing firm in the faith is no way passive. It takes decisive, alert, conscious hearts and minds remaining focused on the goal of who Jesus is and what he's done and how we can live for him. And all of that means that we will not be shaken. We will stand firm. Uh, And so we can begin to see and just scratch the surface of the richness and the depth of this letter. And I hope that as we dive into it over these months, uh, that we will be encouraged, we'll be spurred on, we'll be challenged, we'll be inspired, we'll be equipped to follow Jesus as God teaches us through Peter's words, that we would indeed stand firm in him and who he is.